Hello and welcome to the Prospect Sermons Podcast, the preaching ministry of Prospect Baptist Church. This podcast is dedicated to the faithful exposition of the scripture and the edification of the local church. This is Parker Smith, Senior Pastor of Prospect Baptist, located in Fayetteville, Tennessee. I want to say a word of thanks to Nathan Posey for providing the intro and outro music for this podcast. Our prayer is that the sermon you're about to hear will help you grow in your understanding of God's Word, point you to the person of Jesus Christ, and encourage you to live for the glory of God. We hope you enjoy this episode of the Prospect Sermons Podcast. Scott and thank you Johnny. Hey, if you have your Bibles, I would love for you to turn them on or turn them to the book of Jonah chapter number four and we're going to be concluding our sermon series through the book of Jonah uh, this morning and I hope you've enjoyed this series so far. I'm going to conclude that this morning. Last week, just a way of reminder, um, we looked at chapter three and in most of chapter three anyway, we said a couple of things. We said that doing life's God's way is always best. We learned what mattered to God um, and saying that God using you powerfully doesn't always mean that God will necessarily use you. We also learned that God works beyond our ability. Jonah learned that as well, that God does his best work not through our strength, but through weakness. And we saw pointing to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We saw God's grace. We saw that sinners matter to the Lord. And we saw that God works through his coming week and uh, redeeming us through weakness and exalting of his son. And so this morning we're going to be in Jonah chapter 4. We're going to look at our uh, chapter uh, this morning. So if you would, uh, maybe where you're at, I would ask you to stand in the honor of reading of God's word. Jonah chapter 4. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you were gracious, a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Verse 5, Jonah went out of the city and set to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he could see what would become of the city. Now the Lord appointed a plant that was made to come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed the scorching east wind and the sun to beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry angry enough to die. And the Lord says, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you would help us this morning. That you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear. 
God, that we wouldn't preach this text apart from Christ, that we would preach towards your Son and our Savior this morning. And that he would go before us and he would make a way because he is the way, the truth, and the life. Father, by your Spirit, may, we, may you help us to hear your word and to receive it and to obey it in all of our lives. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. And you may be seated. And I would encourage you again to follow along with us. I know um, you may be sitting in the comfort of your own home looking at a screen, but I would encourage you to join in with us and follow along in this text this morning. As we come to the end of Jonah chapter 4, we find that in this final chapter, some of our questions that we've been asking all along get an answer. And yet some are also left to a great mystery. We do discover the real reason why Jonah did not want to go to Nineveh. We discover why God desired Jonah to go to Nineveh. But we're also very confused by this rhetorical question at the end of the book. We're confused about what happens next for Jonah. We're confused by this perplexing ending. It ends with a question. It just, it just kind of hangs there. And as a matter of fact, most scholars believe that it was purposely written and ending in this way to bring about curiosity for the reader. It's intended to be a cliffhanger. Some would even go far as to say it is on purpose to actually motivate the reader, meaning that what follows in the book of Jonah, per se, is not in the hands of Jonah, but as much as it is in the hands of his followers that would come after him. And we've been, that's why we've been saying this notion that the book of Jonah is like a mirror that we read and we say, ask of ourselves." the author is saying of us, will you too be like Jonah? Will you be like this disobedient prophet? Will you be a one who is disobeying what the Lord has called you to do? And you see this perplexing question at the end. And some scholars say that question is intended for us to examine our own hearts and motives before the Lord. I want to draw your attention to a couple of points this morning. The first one is this. I want you to see threefold Jonah, Israel, and us. You may think, I don't have a clue what that's getting at, but... Hopefully, I'll unpack this in such a way that you'll see the connection between Jonah, the people of Israel that I hinted about last week, and also the compelling uh, message for us as well. But look at Jonah, verse 1 and 2 of chapter 4. But it displeased Jonah. In other words, it caused him great displeasure. That's the literal rendering there. It, It displeased him exceedingly. All the more it displeased him, and he was angry. The, the literal rendering there in the original Hebrew is that he was piping hot. He was burning mad. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, relenting from disaster. That is a perplexing couple of verses there. And when you read it, hopefully it makes you scratch your head and think, what is Jonah saying? What is Jonah? It displeased him? He's angry because God is gracious? It's worth us pursuing that this morning. It's interesting that Jonah, this self-righteous prophet, even prayed to the Lord in his frustration. He turned to the Lord. That's usually what religious people may do. They are filled with religiosity, yet 
in their frustration, they see themselves upright and right, and so they pray to the Lord nonetheless. Why was Jonah angry? Jonah was angry because, it's very clear, because God is extending grace to the Ninevites. God's extending grace. It's mentioned several times, and we've mentioned it as well. Why Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh? Well, here is our answer. The reason he made haste to flee to Tarshish is because he knew that God is a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, relenting from disaster. Jonah is frustrated and upset that a pagan people, not just Israel, would receive God's grace. Someone far from God in in Jonah's eyes. Someone that Jonah would consider undeserving of this grace is a recipient of this grace. And Jonah didn't like it. Someone from a different background, someone from a different way of life, someone from a different culture that wasn't like Jonah, that wasn't like Israel. Jonah was doing really well, but look at him now. This picture of this self-righteous religious person claiming to have the mind of God, but refusing to have the heart of God towards others. He knew a lot of truths about God. But he refused to allow those truths to affect his outlook or his heart towards his neighbor. He refused to be gracious as God was gracious. He refused to be merciful as God was merciful. Slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. But Jonah himself would never do that within his own posture. He is what we would call by today's standards a fraud. He even went so far as to pray about it because that's what religious people do. They're prayed, but they are unmoved themselves even in voicing their prayers. He's in this conundrum of wishing others would change but refusing to extend grace to those who need it most. Because it wasn't what he wanted. It was somebody that wasn't like him is receiving God's grace. That was true for Jonah. He's been called to be a blessing to them and preach the gospel to them, to extend God's grace to other nations. But that was also true of Israel as well. And what I want to do for just a moment is I want to pull back and look through a lens of what's called biblical theology. And I want us to trace the story of Scripture and show you that Israel was to fulfill this calling that Jonah was to fulfill as well. And like I said last week, That Jonah is a picture, a representation of Israel's disobedience. In the same way that Jonah is disobedient, Israel should look upon themselves and realize that they too had been disobedient. In the same way that Jonah cared not for anyone outside of Israel, Israel only cared about people like them. And just like Jonah had been given a special calling to reach out to the nations, Israel too had been given a calling to go to the other nations, but they refused. In the big picture of the story of Scripture, you have the going forth of God's glory into all places. It is, His glory is the climax of the entire story. And the way that God orchestrates His story of His glory going forth is that He calls a particular chosen people to be the extension of His grace and to live sent lives so that people can see the heart and character of God that are not close to Him. 
And now that has been given, that same commission that was given to God's chosen people, Israel, has been given to God's chosen people in the New Testament, His church, to carry that same mission into the world, the same blessing, the same glory that's going forth. We have been called to that end. And the church is not a replacement of Israel, but a fulfillment of Israel through Christ. Israel failed. Jesus is now the better Israel. He is the true child of God. And we, through Christ, are now God's children through the atonement of Christ, reconciled to our Heavenly Father through His atonement. And we enter through the better Son, the better Israel, namely Jesus Christ, and we find our fulfillment as God's people. In the Old Testament, it was Israel. And now, through the New Testament, it is His church. And those who are redeemed by the Lord. But you see it very clearly for the people of Israel in Genesis chapter 12. And in Genesis chapter 15, God declaring to Abraham that through his offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Genesis chapter 12, verses 2 and 3. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you. And I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. There is this echo of hope coming from the line and lineage of Abraham. The line and lineage of Abraham that Jesus Christ would be a blessing to all nations. And God, in the Old Testament, is entrusting his people to care for the nations to be the extension of his character and grace and mercy to all people. Genesis chapter 28, you see this again in verse 14. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Gee, it sounds like the people of Israel are to be a blessing to the other nations. And if it sounds like that, it's because it is true. They are to be an extension of God's grace and God's character to all people. You see it again in the way that Israel is commanded in the treatment of the foreigner and the sojourner that's in their land. Look in Leviticus chapter 19, verses 33 and 34. When a stranger or a sojourner with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as a native among you, and you shall love him as yourself. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. In the same way that you have received my grace, when a stranger or sojourner comes into your land, you reciprocate that grace to them. And in doing so, reciprocate the heart and character of God to those people. This same posture continues. The language of the captivity for the people of Israel to be a blessing to the nations In their disobedience, you read Jeremiah and you see in Jeremiah 29 that their captivity was for God's plan so that he might send them into the nations even though they were disobedient. And that's why Jeremiah comes in Jeremiah right before. We get Jeremiah 29 verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. You back up a little bit. You see that in Jeremiah 29 very clearly that God has sent his people into exile for a particular purpose. And that purpose is that they would seek the welfare of the city, that they would love the people of that city, 
that they would plant vineyards and they would raise children and they would be a blessing to that city even though the Lord has sent them there to be in exile. He says, even though you're in captivity, Israel, you're still to be a blessing to all people. And it's the story of God throughout all the scripture. The sending of his people and the sending of his glory through a chosen people, Israel, to feel his glory into all the earth. That's what you see in Habakkuk 2. Habakkuk 2.14, that for all the earth will be filled with the knowledge and the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. I want to take my jacket off. I think my jacket may be scratching the microphone if that's becoming a little bit distracting. But the people of God have been sent into all places to go with the glory of God in all lands. And you see it in the Tower of Babel. God brings his people there and he says, Now may the knowledge of God grow into all places. But what do the people do at the Tower of Babel? They say, no, I would rather make a name for myself. And they say no to what God has commanded them to do. In the same way, Israel was sent to be a blessing. And yet they say, no, we will not go. And that is true for God's people. It's true for Israel. It's true for Jonah. And time and time and time again, when God has commissioned them to go, they sit back and they say, no. Until... A true son appears until the better son comes. And his name is Jesus. And he comes to give life, yes, for Israel, but also to the Gentiles, giving life to all his people. And we enter in through that story, through the story of Christ, and in that commission, in the missional heart of God, to go to all nations and people, that we are sent and we are given this commission, that we go and make disciples of all nations. That is the commission that God has given us through His Son, Jesus Christ. It's the story and the glory of God going in the same way that it was being sent in the book of Genesis and will culminate in the book of Revelation. This is the story that we enter into. Into, to go and make disciples, not just of an ethnic people, but a spiritual people through Christ? Or will you be like Jonah? Or will you be like Israel and not obey? And say no to what God has called us to? To be like Israel and not have a concern with your neighbor And they became increasingly, as you follow the story of Israel, they became increasingly bitter towards non-Jews and to pagans and to heathens. You see this very clearly in the New Testament. You see Jesus telling a parable of two sons, an older brother despising his younger brother because he was convinced that he was unworthy. You have Pharisees and religious leaders refusing to eat and fellowship with sinners and tax collectors because they are unworthy types. You see the Jewish attitudes and hearts towards people like Samaritans and Gentiles running counter to the heart of God. And God is giving his people instruction and care over and over and over again, but yet they harbor bitterness. And they begin to boast in themselves and saying, we are the chosen ones. And no one else is. And in this story, you see someone that was undeserving, someone that Jonah would count as unwelcomed or unworthy, receiving God's grace. It's like the parable of the laborers in the vineyard. 
And man, the, the one that worked all day and thought that he was worthy of something. And then someone that maybe worked half as long as he did received the same amount. And he's frustrated. And Jonah sees these Ninevites. And he looks at God in disgust and thinks, how in the world could you do something like that? And Jonah maybe had the mind of God, but he did not have the heart of God. And we too should be careful, church, that we not become like Jonah. Because we, in the same way that Israel has been called, in the same way that Jonah has been called, we too have been called as his church, the people of God through his son, Jesus Christ, in the same way. Flip over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. You see this very clear. It says, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. What is that language? We regard no one according to the flesh, even though we were once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All of this from God, who through Christ reconciled us, there's reconciliation, to himself, and gave us, so here it is, gave us the ministry. That's the commissioning of the people of God being sent into all the world to spread the glory and fame of God in all places. He has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling, not just the Jew, the whole world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us. There it is again, the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be no sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The scripture is clear that we are received the good news in the gospel of Jesus Christ, then that we have now been sent out as agents of reconciliation, ministers and ambassadors of Christ to extend that grace that we have received to others and those who are just as unworthy as we are. The problem for Jonah wasn't in his head. The problem for Jonah was in his heart. Jonah 2.4, he says, I knew I knew this. I knew that you were gracious, slow down. I knew it. I knew it in my head. And what troubled Jonah was that grace that he had received would go to someone like a Gentile. More than that, would go to someone like a Ninevite. Someone that would be his enemy. Someone that he was constantly in battle and fighting. For Jonah, if there was anyone that was undeserving of God's grace, it was Nineveh, these wicked people, these murderous people, these horrible, hardened people. And in painting the Ninevites in that way, he began to see them in terms of hostility and to saw them as an enemy. And the same thing can happen to our human hearts as well. That we begin to create divisions and hostility on the basis of human customs that we build these walls of hostility where God in Christ has torn them all down. That's true racially. That's true ethnically. That's true socioeconomically. That's true politically. That's true even religiously. And they begin to take the forms of hot-button things in society as, as isms within, within culture. Racism, nationalism, classism, criticism, extremism, and elitism. That begins to posture oneself that says that I'm chosen and no one else is. 
This is the sin and the manifestation of sin in the human heart. And if we aren't careful, we can develop a heart just like Jonah. When we look down on others and count them unworthy of redemption, claiming to have the mind of God, but refusing to have the heart of God for others. I think the book of James is helpful here with at least two warnings. If you flip over to the book of James, we're going to look at this really quickly. The first one is this, is not showing any partiality. It's what Jonah seems to be doing here. He was being partial to himself, self-righteous in that, unwilling to see God's grace and accept that God's grace was going to someone that was just as unworthy as he was. But James helps us in this. If you are really fulfilling the royal law according to the scriptures, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and convicted by the law as a transgressor. For he who keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. But if you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So, so speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy, mercy triumphs over judgment. The heart of God is not showing partiality, so therefore we should not show partiality. But James continues in James chapter 3, and I'm going somewhere with this, also about our tongue. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire, And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The the tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird and reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, Here it is. We curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things not ought to be so. And my point is this. My concern is that I see so many people within the church, so many Christians creating enemies in the way that they posture towards partiality or the way that they spew poison with their words. That we tear people down instead of build people up. We tear people down. Don't miss this. Who are made in the image of God. We see them as our enemy instead of seeing them as our neighbor. And we may say that we love all people until we get on Facebook and our words begin to take off. And we say something critical about someone that totally robs them of their dignity and what it means to be made in the Imago Dei. These things ought not to be so. Having a regard for ourselves, we tear down those who are made in the very image of God. Christian, your words matter. Your posts matter. The people around you mattered. And if we're not careful, we'll be sucked into this tunnel vision mentality like Jonah had that says, God's grace is only for me. But God was extending his grace to others as well. 
Jonah misapplied his theology. He knew some great things about God. But his growth in pursuit of the knowledge of God pulled him away from love of neighbor. Folks, I want to tell you, I want to be very honest. It's great that you learn a lot of great things about God. But if your theology and your growth in pursuit of God is causing you to grow in animosity or bitterness or frustration or anger towards your neighbor, rest assured it is not the theology of Scripture. And it's not the theology of Christ. We should, our love for God should compel us to love our neighbor all the more. And for Jonah, this misapplied theology that he had grew in his disregard for his neighbor. He painted them as an enemy instead of loving them as he was called. But Jonah was also so foolish to think that God could somehow fit into his box. He says, I knew what you were going to do. I knew all about it. And then became frustrated because he knew all about it. In other words, God, you need to fit what I think you need to do and you need to do it. It's what Jonah was thinking. But Jonah didn't have a clue. Jonah didn't have a clue of the bigger picture that God was, was pulling together in this moment. What the New Testament begins to unpack in places like Ephesians and also Colossians. This unfolding of the mystery of God. Jonah didn't have a clue about the mystery of God that God was doing here. Yet Jonah has the audacity to speak in that way. Ephesians chapter 3, look at verse 4 and 6. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. There it is, the mystery of which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by his spirit. Jonah didn't know about it. The men of other generations didn't know about this. This mystery that's been hidden from ages is what the, Paul would, the apostle Paul would write in the book of Colossians. This mystery is this, verse 6 of Ephesians chapter 3. The mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise of Christ in Christ through the gospel. God is extending His grace and His covenant to the Gentile people. And Jonah didn't have a clue, but Jonah thought he knew. He didn't know the full mystery of God. He didn't know the story of God, that He's expanding His love and His grace and His covenant not just to ethnic Israel, but to Gentiles as well. And you see this begin to unfold in the book of Acts. The gospel going to the Gentiles and Gentile places that Paul giving the ministry to go preach the gospel to the Gentiles. Philip baptizing an Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8. Peter going to the house of Cornelius, a Roman centurion in Acts chapter 10. And note the language of Acts 10, 34 and 35. So Peter opened his mouth. This discussion about don't declare unclean what I have called clean. Peter is confused about this vision, this dream that he has. And so Peter opened up his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation. Put some parameters on that. That's Jew. That's Gentile. Every nation. That's Jonah, and that's the Ninevite as well. Every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Do you hear the application from James come blowing through? 
that God shows no partiality. So Jonah, why are you showing partiality? You think you understand and know the plan of God, Jonah? You don't. And he gets so frustrated. God, what are you doing? Jonah would exclaim. Do you see what's taking place here, Christian? Jonah thinks that he has it all figured out. All calculated. But Jonah himself missed it. It's the continuation of the unfolding plan of God's redemption for the whole world. And Jonah doesn't understand it. And Jonah's frustrated about it. And he's angry. In the New Testament, we've been called to go make disciples. The literal rendering of that is pantata ethne. It is to every nation. And the culmination of all people groups at the eschaton, the celebration around the throne of God is a people from every language, tribe and tongue, come and worship the risen Christ as Lord. And all the divisions have been removed from race to class to culture to language to political to national divisions have all been torn down through Christ. And you may say, well, those things are still in the flesh. Well, sure, they absolutely are in the flesh, but that's why the Apostle Paul would say in 2 Corinthians 5 is that we regard no one according to the flesh. Do you see the Scripture unfolding this? And may we not be like Jonah and think that we've got God figured out and to say that He's chosen me as redeemed by Christ and in His church, the covenant people of God, may we never, ever sit on that and say, well, it's only for me and for no one else. What about your enemy? What about your enemy? How would it make you feel that God is extending grace to one that you would call your enemy? That God would save them as well? The person that you've maybe painted as your enemy is really your neighbor. And you've forsaken to love them, forsaken to serve them. And God in Christ has called you to that end to love them as yourself and to serve them. And I'm sure that with all of us, all of our sinful hearts, there is a point of which there is the same bitterness and hatred that Jonah felt. And that should cause us to pause and should cause us to examine ourselves and examine our motive. To say, God, help me be a person that has the mind of God, the mind of Christ, but also the heart of Christ. And more than that, to be reminded of the gospel that you too did not deserve his grace. A principle you can write down is this, is that Jonah is not just a story, but a representation of Israel and a reminder of our potential unwillingness to serve others and engage in God's mission. Say that again. Jonah is not a story but a representation of Israel and a reminder of our potential unwillingness to serve others and engage in God's mission. And understand that by loving someone well doesn't mean that we condone or approve, but rather that we love with grace and with truth. And we'll unpack that in just a moment, but point number two, not only do you see Jonah, Israel, and us, but you also see Jonah having a pity party. What you find in the remainder chapter of Jonah is Jonah pouting, so to speak, having a pity party. You see Jonah's pity party in verse 4, or verse 3 through 9. Take my life from me. It's better for me to die than to live. Do you well to do angry? I'm, I'm good to be angry. 
I need to be angry. Jonah was self-absorbed and only concerned about himself. And God is graciously putting Jonah in his place in Jonah verses 10 through 11 in chapter 4. It says, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make grow, which came into a night and perished in a night. Should I not also pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? I think the Lord is being gracious to Jonah here and reaching out to him and said, Jonah, you had pity for a plant, but you won't pity people. You had pity over a plant that protected you, Jonah? I think maybe just just getting at Jonah just a little bit and said, what about the cattle? You don't care about the people, you care about the cattle? You care about the plant, Jonah? What about the people? The people that are far from God, that God has a heart for. God has a heart for the Ninevite. God has a mission to reach those people. And God sent Jonah to be on mission for them. And he sent Israel to reach them as well. Church, do you not understand what's going on here? That Jonah sat in his grace and was content in that. And not lavishing the grace that God has bestowed on them. And says God's grace is for them as well. And God's grace is abundant. And Israel would do the same thing. And in doing so, they forget that it was grace in the first place. Jonah began to find himself to think, I'm worthy of this. Israel would find themselves to say, I'm in covenant with God and no one else is. At least they'd be reminded of their truth in Deuteronomy 7. It says, for you are a people holy to the Lord your God. Therefore, the Lord your God has chosen you to be a people of His treasured possession out of all the people of who are on the face of the earth. It is not because you are more in number than any of those people that the Lord has set and chose you and set His love on you. For you are the fewest of all people. But it was because the Lord loves you, Israel. The Lord could have chosen Anyone he wanted to. And he set his affection on a covenant people, namely the people of Israel, and it wasn't because they'd done anything to deserve it. And it wasn't because they were more numerous. It wasn't because they had anything that was stacking up in their category that says we are worthy of this. No, it was simply because, Deuteronomy 7, 6, 7, 8, it was because the Lord loves you. That's grace. That's grace. That's God's grace. It's grace that they've received and grace that Israel has received and grace that Jonah has received. And oh, church of Christ, the grace that we have received by the grace of God, not because you're worthy of it. The Lord loves you. He loves you because of Jesus. The Lord loves you. It's not because you're worthy, it's because you were unworthy. And the Lord set his affection on you, and through Christ you have redemption. To be reminded of that gospel, and I see so many people in church, and I see so many people that are sitting on that grace, and they're getting comfortable, and they're having a pity party. How telling is it, church, that God is on mission, and the church is in decline? God is on mission and the church for the last decade, even longer, two, three decades, 
has been in decline. Is it because God's not on mission anymore? No, God is on mission. We do realize that, right? God is on mission to seek and save that which is lost. God is on mission to reconcile all things to himself. That's Ephesians chapter 1. And to tell you what I've seen in the past 15 years of being in the church is I've seen a lot of pity parties going on. I've seen God being on mission in the church just sitting around sulking in their own misery. Creating more excuses than possibilities of preaching the gospel. Refusing to serve, refusing to help, refusing to engage. Someone else is going to do that. Well, I've done enough and it's someone else's turn. And why in the world are handprints all over the walls? And can't those kids that, that, that ride the bus, can't they behave a little better? Not my job to serve the city. Not my job to serve the church. Not my job to care for the broken. Not my job to love everyone. Not my job to care for Christ, share Christ with others. Not my job to engage in the mission of God. Whose is it? If it's not those who have been redeemed by Christ. A culture within the church, the 80-20 rule that says 80% of the work is done by 20% of the people. And everyone else is just miserable. Go in the majority of churches today and you'll see a lot of people sitting, but very few people serving. And a lot of people saying, what in the world's happening to our country? What's happening to religious freedom? Well, the church just isn't the same anymore. Music is different. They don't preach like they used to. Well, can you believe what Target did or this company did? Having their own pity party. And God is on mission. And we've created a culture. My fear is that we've created a culture that is more comfortable telling others of our disapproval of the things that are going on in our world, and we become frustrated at those things, we're more comfortable doing that than we are in preaching Christ and sharing the gospel. If you want to see culture changed, if you want to see Christ transform lives, put your hands to the plow and engage the culture with the greatest news the world has ever known. Don't sit and get comfortable. Christ has come, called us and commanded us to engage in his mission. And to not sit in our own pity. And to be sitting our self-absorbed frustration about how awful the world is. Instead, we start seeing the people around us in brokenness because they do not know Christ. We pity ourselves sometimes when we should be extending grace and compassion to those who are without Christ. And imagine what would begin to happen as the church says, as the people of God, they look out into their community. They see a people enslaved to sin and they don't run away from them. Instead, they run towards them with the good news of Jesus Christ. It says this person may be an addict, he may cuss like a sailor, he may be living content in his sin, he is an idol for this and that, he is totally lost. But to sit across the table from that person and to serve alongside them and say, I am for you. And I'm not approving of what you're doing, but I love you and I'm for you and I'm here to help you in any way that I can. I'm here to serve you. I'm here to point you to the love of Christ. To truly love God, to stand firm in our biblical convictions, but to also love our neighbor as ourselves. And to love the one who is closest to us. And what a testimony that it would be. What a reputation that it would have for Prospect Baptist to be within this city. 
just say, man, those people have an unwavering commitment to the word of God. But they also love their city so well. Or you can do what Jonah and Israel wouldn't do. But a true prophet would. The better Jonah would. The better Israel would. The true son would. And he has called us to follow him. Our elder brother Jesus Christ. To love God and to love our neighbor as herself. We're coming to a close and as we do there's a tendency as we hear something like this to be driven into guilt and to despair. But my aim is to point you back to the gospel of Jesus Christ. My motivation is not to guilt anyone into serve, but to remind them of the gospel of grace that they have received from the Lord. And let's not be like Jonah and to allow people's sin to be the reason we don't extend grace to them. Again, not that we approve, not that we accept, but it doesn't mean that we stop loving them well. We love them as we've been called to. We serve them however we can. And we not be driven in religiosity like Jonah. Because it won't work. We'll be caught if we do that. We'll be caught between the religious right and the religious left. The conversation sounds like this. Number one would say you must love others and therefore lose on truth. You love at the expense of anything else and that means you compromise on truth. The other side would say you must love truth and therefore you cannot fully love others. Until Jesus shows us another way. And that's why he drove the religious leaders nuts. Because he wasn't concerned with religiosity. He was concerned about love for God. And love for neighbor. And he's dining and eating with sinners and tax collectors. Who is this? Those religious leaders would say. I love what John says about Jesus. John 1 verse 14. I love this. We'll conclude here. And the word became flesh. And dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as the only son from the father. Watch this. Full of grace and truth. Full of grace. Full of all the mercy, the compassion, the care, the love that Jonah failed to show to the Ninevites. And full of truth. So much truth that I don't want you to perish. So much truth that I want to point you to the hope that you have in Christ. Full of grace and full of truth. Not or, and. In Prospect Baptist, may we live our lives to that end. May we not be a religious people. Embracing love for the expense of truth or truth without extending grace. May we instead be a gospel people that extends to engage the broken, to love the lost and to love them well, to love our neighbor, yes, to preach Christ to them, to preach the gospel to them, and to be as patient and as gracious as our Lord has been to us. Full of grace, full of truth, and full of truth and full of grace, and overflowing with the good news of Christ. Because that's what's in this text this morning. You see Christ who loved even his enemies and Jonah wouldn't. He loved you, sinner. He loved you and gave his life for you even when you were dead in your sin. Even when you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. 
and he laid down his life for his enemies. Jesus is the better Jonah. Christ, who wasn't self-absorbed like Jonah was, but instead he gave his life to serve us. Christ, the better Jonah, who doesn't become angry, but instead rejoices when undeserving sinners return to the Lord. I wonder if that's you this morning. I wonder if you would respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. I wonder if you would return to not just maybe having a a mind for God, but having a heart for God. May God have maybe even gripped you in this sermon to say I've become self-righteous and I've become indignant towards people whose God has called me to serve and to love. I've painted them as my enemy and they're really my neighbor. Maybe for you, you've never responded and trusted Christ and I would implore you on the authority of the word of God, that you would repent and believe the gospel and you'll be saved. And it's only through Christ, it's only through the better prophet, the better son, the better Israel, that we are saved and have redemption. If that's you this morning, send us a message online. Send us a message on Facebook. We'll be happy to respond to you, talk to you about what it means to follow the Lord. Let's pray together. Well, as always, thank you for listening, and we hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Prospect Sermons podcast. Once again, I'd like to say a word of thank you to Nathan Posey for providing the intro and outro music featured on the podcast today. And if you would like more information about Prospect Baptist Church, you can visit our website, prospectbaptistchurch.org, or you can find us on Facebook by searching Prospect Baptist Church, Fayetteville, Tennessee. And if you live in the Fayetteville area, we would love for you to join us in worship on Sundays at 1030 a.m. Please note that our in-person services will resume on November the 29th of 2020. If you're not comfortable joining us at that time, we understand and please know that we are live streaming our services on Facebook Live. We do hope to see you soon and look forward to you worshiping with us. Until next time on the Prospect Sermons Podcast. Thank you.